Well, please do take your seats. I wonder what you think when you hear the word worship. That's what we're thinking about today. I wonder what comes to mind. And I'm going to start, start off by, uh, to quote a famous television programme, asking the audience. So, um, so, what comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? What, what immediately comes to your mind? Any offers? We have Fian? Love. Thank you. Fred? Bowing your head in prayer. Any other offers? What comes to your mind? Sorry? Joy, praise. Thank you. Singing. Thank you. One at the back? Hope. Hope in Jesus. Wonderful. Any, any other ones? Faith. Thank you. Okay, so there are lots of, lots of different um, words that, that, that have meaning for us when we think about worship. And uh, probably, if, if everybody was asked, there would be many, many more different um, pictures and ideas that come to people when you think of worship. Um, I wonder if it occurred to anyone that laying the car park mesh yesterday out there on the grass might be an act of worship. Just hold that in your mind and we'll think about it later, okay? But I'm going to just turn to to the scriptures now for a while. I love the passage from the first passage that was read from 2 Samuel about David bringing the ark of God up to Jerusalem. I think it's worth remembering before we think about the passage just what the ark of the covenant was. In Exodus 25, God speaks to Moses in the desert near Mount Sinai and instructs the Israelites to build the ark which is a large wooden chest carried on two poles. And inside the chest is going to be kept the testimony, the law, um, or the Ten Commandments, as Moses will be given on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. But more than that, there are to be two cherubs, which were going to be made on each end of the ark, facing the centre, looking at each other. And God said to Moses, I will meet you there between the cherubs. I will meet you there and give you all my commands for the Israelites. The ark is the place where God presences himself with the Israelites to speak with Moses. That's how holy the ark is. And now here is the new King David. He's just been crowned king. He's just... um, captured Jerusalem from the Jebusites. He's defeated the Philistines who've come to oppose him. He's established himself um, as king in Jerusalem. And so he wants to bring the ark up to the city, the place where God resides. David wants God to be residing in the city where he is king. And as they brought the ark up, we're told in verse 5 of our reading, that David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. That must have been quite a show. And, after, and, and then after the ark has taken a diversion to the house of Obed-Edom, it continues on its way to Jerusalem in verse 12 with rejoicing, with sacrifices, and once again, David dances before the Lord with all his might in verse 14. David is completely abandoned 
to the excitement and the joy of worshipping God as he brings the sacred ark up to Jerusalem. And clearly many others joined in with him, with musical instruments and singing and so on. So what is, what is worship all about? Well, according to a man by the name of Saint Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuit order, worship is the very reason we were created. In the introduction to the Ignatian spiritual exercises, he says this, we are created to praise, reverence and serve God our Lord and by this means to save our soul. And in the second passage we listened to this morning from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it seems Paul would have exactly the same thought. He says it three times in different ways. In verse 5 he says that he, that is God, destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. God destined us, in other words his purpose for us, is to the praise of God. And in verse 12, he says, we are to live for the praise of God's glory. And again in verse 14, he writes that we are God's own people to the praise of his glory. It seems, it seems from scripture that our very purpose here on earth is to praise and worship God. So what does it mean to actually worship? What's worship about Well, the most common understanding of worship is what we do here on a Sunday morning. And Sunday worship can take many, many different forms, can't it? Depending on the local culture, depending on the tradition of a particular denomination or a particular strand within a denomination. For example, some church traditions put great emphasis, perhaps the most emphasis, on what's called the sacrament of the Eucharist. In other words, the sharing of bread and wine. In others... Scripture and the sermon is viewed as the sort of central part, the main act of worship. In others, the emphasis is more on sung worship and the use of spiritual gifts, words of prophecy and things like that. And one of the things I love about the Church of England is that it is so broad that it embraces every one of these aspects of worship. The interesting thing is that all, all flavours, if you like, of Christianity incorporate all of these aspects to a greater or lesser degree. And the ironic thing is that every church, whatever its tradition, usually thinks that it's got just the right balance, even though they are so different. Of course, none of these traditions is right or wrong. None of them is better or worse. They're different expressions and different forms of worshipping God through Jesus Christ together. And actually, that word together is the whole point of Sunday worship, worshipping God together. St. Matthew's isn't here so that I, as an individual, can come along and worship for my sake. It was never meant to be a consumer product. That's not what Sunday worship is for. It's for glorifying God in the act of worshipping him together. And therefore, true worship is unifying. Congregational worship is all about bringing us together. It's about worshipping God together. True worship is unifying. David might have danced in front of the ark, but there were hundreds of others 
uh, with him, all glorifying God together. Perhaps another um, outworking of that is that for 15 years now, church leaders from many, many different denominations across the town of Reading have gathered every Wednesday morning um, in the town centre to spend an hour between eight and nine praying for the town of Reading together. That's unifying worship, coming together to worship God. And I'm absolutely sure that God must look down on all of the millions of churches all over the world and wonder, I wonder what they'll think of next. But I'm sure he loves the diversity and the passion of those who, like David, worship him from the heart. So if we come to church on Sunday and say, well, I didn't really get much out of that, or it didn't really do it for me, then we've missed the point. Sunday worship is about God's family coming together to worship God as one. So if that's the case, is there a place for individual worship? And if so, what does it look like? Well, I think the answer to that is unequivocally yes. This is where I think we get much closer to the idea of life as worship. And this is where perhaps we might ask ourselves again whether laying the car park mesh on the grass out the front can be considered worship. I think we've got a photograph. Oh, look, there they were at it yesterday. Well, judging from the photograph, certainly lots of them spent a lot of time on their knees. But I'm not sure that that's the reason that it might be worship. Worship is about a giving up of oneself and one's selfish desires and going for God. People who might far rather have spent the day visiting friends, watching the sport, having a nice lunch, whatever it was, spent most of their day on, the ha- on their hands and knees in order that others would have a better experience in the future of arriving at St. Matthew's. Now that can be worship. Of course, if you spent the day doing that because you were trying to avoid the mother-in-law who'd come to visit, then it probably wasn't worship. But it can be. It can be. And of course, that doesn't just apply to laying the car park, but to every act of selfless love, which we do. Whether it's visiting someone who's sick, shopping for someone, just being with someone who needs a listening ear. As Jesus said in Matthew 25, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Jesus says that that when we do an act of love, an act of kindness for anybody, then we've done it for him. It is worship. And that's why all of life can be worship. And what determines whether or not it is worship is the attitude of our hearts. We worship God when we serve out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. And Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians that we read this morning, that in him, in other words, in Jesus, in verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and God's grace lavished upon us. When we look at the cross, we can be so thankful that worship becomes the only appropriate response. As C.T. Studd, who was a missionary to inland China many, many years ago, said when asked why he had given up his international England cricket career to go to a very dangerous place 
um, to help others. He said, if Christ is God and he died for me, then there is nothing that I could not do for him. And that's what worship is all about. It's about going for God. And that's why David was prepared to risk being all out for God and dancing like mad in front of the ark. He was after God. He wanted to be closer to God. And he abandoned himself to worship. One person watching him was Michal, the daughter of Saul, who looked out of the window, saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And it says she despised him in her heart. And not everyone will like the way that we worship, whether that's in church or in our everyday lives. Sometimes it's quite uncomfortable if we see someone totally abandoned to God, especially if we're not ourselves, especially if we're finding it difficult to worship ourselves. But God blessed David, and somehow we have to find it in ourselves to bless others, even when it's hard. Jesus told us that we have to lose our lives in order to find them. C.S. Lewis put it like this in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, keep nothing back, because nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself And you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. And in a very small way, that's a bit like what happened yesterday. A group of men giving up their day to do an uncomfortable task. I can't tell you what that meshing does for your knees. It really is uncomfortable. But actually... We were really blessed by the day. We got to know each other better. We shared a greasy fish and chip lunch together and chatted over lunch. And we helped and encouraged one another. And I think the body of Christ here at St. Matthew's was enriched by our time together. So we were created to praise and glorify and worship God. It's the very purpose of our existence. True worship builds up and creates unity. And if we set our sights on God with thankful hearts for what Jesus has done on the cross, our whole lives can become an act of worship. Amen.